hot for Howard. And Riddle. Everyone wants to see Jeff Bezos' dick now, but I want to see Howard Schultz's dick. Uh, it's a Ooh. real complex. I think we all knew we were always going Gonna to see it. We just didn't <laughs> know Bezos when. dick, but, know but I think it's a much bigger question with Howard Schultz. Right. Howard, let's see our show. Like, does he <laughs> fuck? Uh, question mark. I, no. From the ground up. Oh. <laughs> 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 Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yes. Fuck. Look at that. I don't even know what that kind of collar is called, but it is not awful. Not the regular kind. It's uh, the kind that. Nope. It's meant to be worn with a jacket and a tie, though, so he does look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he looks like a Seattleite. Yeah. yeah. He has neck fins. Yeah. That's cool. You know. That's an a adaptation billionaires get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because it's really hard to swim in gold. That's what you don't yeah. realize. I think the big mistake I'm realizing is that he doesn't have his sleeves rolled up. Oh, that, like, well, show up you're going to get things done. <laughs> yeah. That's you, the first step. Yeah. The, yeah. the international symbol of getting things done is yeah. having your sleeves roll up. And yeah. he's not. He's clearly not. He kind of, at an angle, looks like, it looked like Mike Pence. And then even for a second, I saw some George W. Bush yep. there. Like, he's like Dino Rossi. Uh, yeah. Also. He, you see what you want to see. <laughs> it's a Rorschach yeah. Rorschach candidate. <laughs> for the He's for a cipher for centrism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he really is. No, I mean, that's really. Like, yeah. that, that's too perfect. Well, it's if someone with no, just not a thought in their head, just read like shit like Jonathan Chait all mm -hmm. day, like mm -hmm. to, to understand the world, and that that's it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. That, this is what you would come out with. Like, he's a perfect creation of the myth of the center. <laughs> yeah. Like, he is the manifestation of the great dream of, like, the elite coastal media class. Absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Schultz? <laughs> so, I got, yeah, made my billion selling bean juice. <laughs> but really, he wasn't selling bean juice. He was selling the Italian cafe oh, dream. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He, like every other huckster, was selling an idea. Don't tax my fraps. Seattle sucks again. Uh, this is Colin. I'm joined with Greg. Hey, it's Greg. We're on the podcast about hating the city we love. Oh yeah, that's who we are. We're on the boat again. Back on the boat, and we have another guest. We're joined with Rich Smith, staff writer at The Stranger, covering uh, politics, theater, and I'm missing one. Books. Um, and but bo oh, literature. Yeah. 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 The arts. Yeah. Cause you, uh, you're a poet, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I haven't been outed this early in a conversation <laughs> yeah, before, <sorry>. but, that, <laughs> but no, it is in my in, in the bio. Yeah, I've got a book of poems out called All Talk, um, that may still be in print. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I think there was like yeah. 500 of them. But, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we get really deep into this, can I top you up on your hillbilly corn liquor? Oh no, I've got plenty of mellow uh, mellow corn. corn. Uh, so synchronize your episodes now. Pour yourself, um, I don't know, how many fingers is that? Two fingers? Two and a half fingers. Two and a half fingers of mellow corn. And by the end of the show, you should be finished with uh, your class. So we we brought you on, Rich, because like there's this worm growing, like wrapping itself around my brainstem. Yeah. Um, it's been like growing and swelling for some time. And it is fed by this weird growing divide in our politics and how that this new divide manifests in like our daily lives and relationships. The contradictions of our whole political system were highlighted by the by in twenty sixteen. Right. Republicans came out as, as revanchist racists and yeah. proud of it. And then Democrats came out as spineless people with zero power, just clinging for some kind of, you know, relevance. Yeah, exactly. And in the run up to that, like Another thing that happened is a left emerged yeah. for the first time in a while. <laughs> you know, I certainly find myself uh, on the left side of this divide. That's a place where I've been ideologi ideologically for a very long time. But the center liberals, the Democrats, are happy to get to handering about, like, growing polarization. Mm -hmm. But 
that implies, I think, like two poles, and they kind of want to deny that there's more to it than that. And uh, yeah, how can you bridge the divide when it's just the div- there's the divide? Yeah, there's it's... no bridging. <laughs> it's like it's got increasingly polarized. That does, or polarized. That doesn't mean a bunch of people have rushed to the center. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and are looking for a place to be, you know, and looking for a uniting figure to unite their centrist ideas. Like, does it mean like a bunch of, like, President Trump got elected and then suddenly everyone was like, hey, what about social liberalism and fiscal responsibility? Right? Yeah. That wasn't yeah. the response. It was, fuck, tyrant, we need, you know, yeah. and also uh, everything is bad. Income inequality is huge and, and destroying us and, uh, um, also, racism persists mm-hmm. and has grown and is mm-hmm. public and now has a yeah. seat in the White House. And now, uh, yeah, that, that was the that was the <laughs> the response. And I don't think it was a, a, a bad one. No, no. <laughs> I think two things happened. It's this very natural reaction and this correct reaction to, like you were saying, the Republicans becoming this outing themselves as revanchist fascists, yeah. basically. And I think the you know opposition to that. It's something I can totally get behind. But there's this weird, simultaneous, like, denial by centrists that they have to be centrist because there's now a left emergent. And they simultaneously want to say, well, no, we're on the same side, we believe the same things, and can't be made to, like, see the contradictions there or the differences. Or, if you can make them see that, their reaction is that it's sort of is on a process level that it's too radical, too fast, too polarizing. They're unable to confront it on an ideological level. So Colin and I have talked for just so long, beating our heads against... So for me, for example, so because, like I said, I was sort of involved in democratic politics way back in Uh in college. I have all these friends and other colleagues I know who are, like, deep in that shit. Mm -hmm. Who are... I know, like, I was a young Democrat at the UW. Okay. Okay. And I know a lot of these people still, and a lot of them are lanyards, either here or Olympia or D.C., and it's just so weird interacting with them and trying to navigate this thing that we're trying to navigate as a culture, which is these divides and what do they mean and how do you convince someone and um and like i have these memories of for some reason when i was a teenager i used to try and convince my like right-wing evangelical mother of things okay and take a very like facts and logic approach and like try to drop drop like all this knowledge to convince her that, you know, the the Bush administration was so evil because they were torturing and try to appeal to her facts that maybe would sway her about, you know, torture is bad, you know, stuff like this. And it's like, in the age of Trump, like, well, I was not interested in that for a long time, but in the age of Trump, it's like, not even interested in having, that's, it's like long gone, right? Yeah. But this new, but I still, then this new worm emerged in my brain, which was, I have all these friends that I thought, like, were on the same page with me for a Mm -hmm. lot of years. And, like, we could identify all these things. Like, we were all, we were all liberals, you Mm -hmm. know? And even though I thought of myself in different contexts and different ways as, like, a leftist and a socialist, like, that all felt like the practical application of that was the same thing. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then seeing this, like, big split, I feel like my teenage self again arguing with my mother when I talk to my friends from college. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Hamilton Nolan wrote a post about this mm. in Splinter a while back that I that made sense to me, which is, I think, part, part of a reason for it. If if there doesn't seem to be... If it's just kind of the... the these conversations are happening at the bar with, like, uh, someone who, like, would, who was, like, serious, seriously... Voting for Hillary Clinton, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. not imagine yeah. why you would you would you would think yeah. anything you know, differently. Yeah, you know, these kind of that that I think that those kinds of uh, conversations and frustrations emerged because the right stopped making interesting arguments. I mean, during the um, Bush years, there was at least some argument you had to have about patriotism and mm-hmm. whether or not that was useful. Some argument about whether or not torturing people was a useful. Uh, you know, uh, a th- thing to do f- for military to do. 
Uh, and that's when it started to split, and to, they started getting even more unhinged, and conversation mm -hmm. started to be a, a less interesting mode of dealing with those people than mm -hmm. just than just what we have to do now, which is pure power grabs. Mm -hmm. The but before, you know, you could have like reasonable conversations about like, uh, but you know whether or not government spending was too high, whether or not it made sense to consider the deficit and the and the debt whenever yeah. you're um, thinking about passing government programs. You, you could have conversations with, I mean, I guess Bush won kinds of yeah. Republicans uh, about immigration or whatever that did, it could operate on... Um, in the in the world of ideas, uh, and and you can you can convince them maybe of, of doing it, I, but then that just stopped happening with the right after Bush, and then liberals who are college educated and uh, like to drink and talk a lot started fighting with themselves because then you know uh, some 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 differences emerged uh, between you know socialists as they got more more powerful and and people who you know um, have money. Yeah, or, <laughs> and, yeah exactly. you know, and 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 and, he, and respect and think that this, the establishment politics is uh, should be upheld and necessary for um, um, to carry out uh, policy changes. The, the same people who are coming out against, for instance, the Green New Deal. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, uh, today as being, you know, I, I asked eight. Uh, wait, no, hold on. How many do we have? I asked the entire. Democrat congressional delegation yeah. uh, of Washington, how they felt about the Green New Deal rollout, and every single one of them was like, except for Pramila Jayapal, who was a co-sponsor, mm. was like, I love, so glad that we're doing something to address climate change, but I just don't know about any of it yet. You know, like, yeah. I, I haven't really, uh -huh. they, 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 they're completely afraid. To, it's, it is a resolution. It is a messaging bill. They're yeah. completely afraid yeah. it, to say, it, you know what, yes, the, we are having a, a, a climate catastrophe mm -hmm. faces us in a matter of one or two mm -hmm. decades. Right, and the message and, is about scale. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's about scale and and that it's the government's burden to intervene. Yeah. And those are two pretty simple concepts. Yeah. <laughs> but that's our divide now. And that's that's our politics is like that's where that's the difference right there between the, the left and a center. Well, but the other and the other the Republicans are saying, well, climate change isn't real. So. Right. <laughs> so like it's that, not fun to have that argument. No. Right. That's, that's like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're just that's totally unhinged and boring and and ultimately like they're only like that's like a quarter of the country maybe mm -hmm. that's who they can get out to the polls is yeah. a quarter of the country but they should be totally irrelevant but. Uh, nobody votes in this country, so well, people vote. They just don't vote where it matters. Yeah, and part of that could be because we repealed the Voting Rights Act. I mean, yeah, I mean, all just part of the conversation about 2016 mm -hmm. and yeah. any ongoing elections. That yeah, it's only getting worse. But already, like only 50 percent of the country right. was really voting. 60 yeah. percent for Obama, you know, came out in that those elections. Mitch McConnell called establishing a uh, election day holiday a power grab by the Democrats. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, but see, <laughs> which is the same of voting, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's, 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 it's 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 acknowledging that their uh, entire you know the shadow platform is just suppress the vote, suppress, suppress the vote, democracy. Suppress, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can almost admire them for that. Yeah. You know, they've they <laughs> they stick to their plans, which is stay in power. Pass tax cuts, and that's it. And they'll say it, you know. And they're not afraid of. They're not obsessed with the decorum of it, and they they realize that it doesn't matter. Which is another actual divide with the center and the left is like, it. There's a center that is obsessed with this kind of decorum and wrings its hands about process and, uh, and polarization and and a left that says this shit's serious let's just do something you know yeah <laughs> like, well it's yeah it's, the 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 centrist says like well don't don't say what you actually believe yeah. that's not going to get bipartisan support and then like camera pans to the republicans and it's just a bunch of gobbles eating each other like we have to try to convince these people to, you know to 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 Pass a Green New Deal, and then, and then and then we've got to work with them and reach across the aisle and like go out to where they live and convince them that you know they should vote in their interests for once in their yeah. in their life or whatever. Well, 
you bring up so that's a really interesting question right there. This idea: Are the Democrats do they agree with uh, with a left on a lot of things, but it's about strategy, or? Is it actually something else? And I think, like, uh, the point really is, what we're talking about here, we live in this city that's super liberal and has all these ideas of itself. It's what we talk about all the time. But its politics are actually, you know, what in this conversation we'll be calling centrist. I mean, I, I, it's really conservative, you know? And in, in, a, in, a, in a wide range of ways. And that's... But that, like, blob is what you're facing is... Is talking to those people, these these Seattleites, these people who think of themselves as liberal, mm-hmm. and the question is, do you actually are you actually in favor of like making the world a better place for people, and and like do you actually have like left or liberal views of the world, and it's about strategy, it's about like well we can't do too fat things too fast we have to be incremental we have to be careful it's a it's an electoral strategy we can't we can't seem too left you know we'll scare off these conservative voters i think that's a that's a bad strategy and a misunderstanding but i think in a lot of cases and certainly at the establishment level like the actual like democratic party and the democratic delegation and they don't their views are actually very conservative they're opposed to a green new deal like why be resistant to a green new deal right something that's a very popular idea why the bigger more obvious question is medicare for all right oh, yeah. like hugely popular yeah and we've been hearing from you know this was the story of the obama administration just this well we'd like to do all these great things including <laughs> shit we campaigned on like closing Guantanamo and <laughs> healthcare for everybody yeah. and all and the list goes on but you know there's these political forces that are constraining us um, when I think we have to step back and go well actually it's because you don't believe the same things that I do you believe this in this managerial professional liberalism that is is pro that does believe Wall Street knows what they're doing and and does believe in enterprise and corporations and does believe in American imperialism and that's the thing getting my my friends who I'm like no you 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 think things like I do having these conversations and trying to get them to to see my perspective is like has been like talking to like Fox News grandpa like it's the same thing that's what I'm talking about these Seattle liberals that you talk to and you go like <clears throat> You try to have these conversations like I used to have to, like I used to try to have with my mother, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's like the same thing. And no. it says to me that there is a difference in ideology because I think so. One thing that center um, liberal America is really obsessed with, and this is something I'd like to hear from you on, is the mind of the Trump voter, truth, uh, facts, journalism, uh, uh, epistemology. You know that that the 2016 was thrown by Twitter memes from Russia and like and or just ignorance and like you say people voting against their own interest mm-hmm. and like because the, you couldn't get the facts out and something I hear both in the media but literally from exactly my friend at a bar the other night is like you know if we could just like get the facts in front of people uh-huh. why does anyone think that is a strategy Rich Smith, we go to you. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, I, the, I, I, I thought you were teeing up for another question about uh, objectivity in uh, in uh, journalism, which I'm happy to talk about. But like the what we live because of, you know, I feel like I'm about to have a kind of a boring answer, but <laughs> we live in two completely separate. What Trump is, was very good at doing was creating an entirely separate universe yeah. of people yeah. who believe information from this source, mm-hmm. and he constantly you know continues to deride as fake information from mm-hmm. all other sources not approved by him and his his followers. And so even if you do give them a fact, let's say, from a newspaper, mm-hmm. they're going to say, well, that's from the liberal right. biased media. You exactly. can't convince me. You know, my preacher has to say it or Donald mm-hmm. Trump has to say it. And it's not the it's not the truth. The postmodernist like world like Republicans figured out 
the how to corrupt postmodernism and enact it in a gross way, and that's what I think you know we're seeing. True, if truth is relative, that means that um, uh, that truth doesn't exist. So truth is whatever I say it is, yeah. and so I can construct it. That's a misreading, of course, of of, of most uh, you know general ideas of postmodernism. But that's that's they were like, oh, we can fucking politicize that, and you know they 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 did, and so yeah, it's you you can't. I don't think you can, with a series of facts or reasonable no. arguments, convince somebody at this point, you know, <clears throat> who's like gonna vote for Trump. That no, you can't because if you could, you could say, you could say, Elliot Abrams, don't you like? You could just start <laughs> listing facts, yeah. right? You'd be like, no, do you understand? This guy, Trump, just appointed like this horrible man to to like be the point man on Venezuela oh, for, yeah 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 and you could say the con contra guy yeah exactly <laughs> you could say like um but you know he was he's responsible for all these crimes and but you'd have to then the next question is well what crimes oh well you know he's a genocidaire um for American imperialism in Central America and in the dirty wars and like but then the question is, what what dirty war are you talking about? Oh, well, you see, Reagan was actually a bad guy. Well, actually, he was kind of dumb and senile and an asshole. Uh -huh. And, well, then you're done there already. But then if you somehow were trying to explain that, okay, you're saying, well, don't you remember Iran-Contra? It's like, well, yeah, weren't we on the right side of the Cold War? Which is like what Elliot Abrams has said when questioning about this stuff in the media over the last, you know, decades. Uh-huh. And you go, oh, well, no, see, actually, the Cold War was uh, horseshit. It was a bunch of lies. Uh, it was a giant waste of time and money uh, and and killed millions of people fruitlessly. Um, oh, also, the Soviets always were just scared shitless of us and wanted peace the whole time. <laughs> oh, also, communism's really cool. It's like, <laughs> you just have to, you keep going down. You, that's why you the facts, you can't. You should be able to say you want to say you just point at Elliot Abrams and go, "Holy shit, this guy is one of the worst people on earth." Yeah, that's that, that's why there's no bridging the divide yeah. with 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 those kinds of people. But they, through reasoned right. arguments Facts or logic, through the normal right? channels, but you can like you know, so you have to go like one. Like you have to move to a, the different point of the rhetorical triangle yes. and use go to pathos and use <laughs> and like recognize that they are suffering. Like one yeah. thing you, they can't lie about the fact that they are paying out of their ass for deductibles yeah. and they're uh, they can't find houses and they're losing uh, money. Uh, well, some of them, well, like I the think middle class people who support Trump and which who is a lot. I over, think which is the odd. quintessential Trump voter is like a white suburban small business shithead. Yes. Um, has a landscaping business outside of Belton, Missouri, and yeah, yeah it's got a, a dually in the driveway. Yeah, a, with a jet ski on a trailer <laughs> behind Absolutely, yeah. brother. Yeah. You bet. And he's also down at Party Cove next weekend because yeah. he loves this country and because Trump is the fucking president. And was he down at Party Cove when Obama was the president? Yes, he was. But you know what? Fucking, he was losing money on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the, anyway, the fascinating I, part you, here when you were talking about people, uh, you you earlier we were having a conversation about growing up and talking to uh, uh, other other teens with yeah. about Bush yeah. and the war and yeah. stuff, and it just like took me back all the way to <laughs> my roots in Missouri, and having these kinds of conversations yeah. with those people. But yes, uh, yeah, and I covered a lot of uh, Trump rallies, and yeah. a lot of people at Trump rallies weren't the you know uh, subaltern. You know, looking around for you know guidance from a businessman. It was just it was a lot of people like the person you're describing. A lot of people in expensive trucks who had a house were fine. Who were just yeah. racist, right? You can be like, we're going to give you free health care, and yeah. they're like, yeah, all right, keep talking. <laughs> well, that, you can at least get them to that. You can at least get them to keep talking. You know that. Well, that goes to something important because I think the Medicare for all thing works as a message because it gets to something much deeper than a lot of like policy bullshit usually does. Mm -hmm. And that matters because again, I keep hearing like, you know, 
it's about all the the problem is all the fake news and the memes and the information wars, mm. Mm. you know, and like and like as we've just discussed, that's bullshit, and it's not going to work, and that's because, like you're saying, those people don't trust you as a source, yeah. you know, and what I want to get down to is the reason for that. And I want to say, I, I believe that it's basically worldview and ideology, and not so much the effects those specifically have on the interpretation of facts, mm -hmm. but an identification with figures and sources, Fox News and Trump, mm -hmm. with a worldview. Those Fox News has been able to say to, to a swath of America, we have the same worldview. Yeah. Either by meeting them where they were at, like with racist dog whistles, mm -hmm. and like convincing them that they really were a racist shithead like they were, or by slowly appealing over years on a lot of other moral and ideological stances that convince them that these people are with me on the on worldview, mm -hmm. on ideology, how I look at the world, what's important. Mm -hmm. That's where the tr that's trust. That sort of um, camaraderie of ideology yeah is where trust comes from because there's no there's no other way and that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that there's no other way to the world is full of information there's no there's no there's never going to be an objective way to um to filter that yeah and so it's about people you trust and and the reason you trust them is ideology and so that's why you can't get through to these people because you fundamentally disagree on a lot of things um, I'm not going to meet, like, the clan where they're at mm -hmm. and then try and get them, like, lay down some facts for them. Do you feel the same way? Is Are we just talking about campaigning here or are we talking about, no, like, no. the sausage making of the government process? Because the, some of those people who I'm guessing that you were at the bar with would say, like, yes, I am in favor for, of Medicare oh, yeah. for all. Oh, yeah. Of course I love Medicare for all, but listen... We get it into the, you know, into Congress. You've got the Congress is made up of these kinds of people. Yeah. They all have to serve their demographic populations. Yeah. And let's say somewhere like the central Washington, like that person isn't going to vote on Medicare for all. That person is going to vote on something like uh, a Medicaid expansion or even yeah. a slight, like lowering the threshold for Medicare. So suddenly, you know, it's like. I am with you on the idea, but whenever yeah. we get into actually enacting the policy, it's the idea is clearly to me a practical realist, uh, just a starting point for negotiations. Right. And because I know that that's going to get whittled down to something else, I'm not going to sit here and run purity tests on people who are trying, you know, Democrats in these kinds of swing districts who are trying to keep their seats. Whenever they come out and say, actually, I don't know if I can do Medicare for all, I'm going to do, you know, a slight Medicare expansion, yeah. or, you know, something, you know, something that, or low, lower the, or sorry, yeah, lower the um, age limits on for when you can buy into Medicare or something. Like, is that that's the kind of response I always get from people? Yeah. you know, the flax, basically. Well, this is or, where yeah. ideology comes in, and on in the centrist, um, mm -hmm. even though they will deny this, and I have more to say about that, but like. There, I, th I think the basic democratic establishment is very conservative. They aren't. They really, to their core, aren't for Medicare for all. They're not for government programs. They are for keeping inflation at zero by not spending yeah. money and and still being able to not tax. They are for. They are essentially conservative. There is a whole lot of other people, including my lanyard friends and uh, lots of other people, just like with. Uh, on the right, there are people who really... It's like the people who were met where they were at with the racist dog whistle. Yeah. And the other people who were brought on board with some other stuff and are there. I think the ideology and the trust there is the the Democratic Party mm -hmm. has signaled to a lot of people, a lot of coastal liberals, a lot of Seattleites, over the years has convinced them... We share an ideology. We believe the same thing, whether that's objectively true or not. Mm -hmm. And so, when they hear from the, from that establishment, that sort of liberal media and Democratic Party establishment, that exactly all the stuff you were just saying, uh -huh. because that that is readily available in in every paper in America, yeah. um, in the Seattle Times, the New York Times, uh, on MSNBC, whatever. Um, 
they go, well, I trust this establishment I because I believe we have the same ideology about things ultimately. I believe that they really think the same things I do. Mm-hmm. So they trust that, that they're right about that stuff. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing is I want to convince those people... No, those those people don't believe the same things you do. Yeah, you know? it could be you know it could be that because the counter argument to that is always like, well, those politicians are just representing the people who elected them, and the people who elected them aren't far left liberals who want Medicare for all or whatever. And the answer to that, I think, for me, is twofold. One is maybe you're just bad at uh, communicating yeah. exactly how good the, the, yeah. uh, the, these policies are. Or, Maybe you just don't know how to, uh, you know, adequately talk to your constituents. Or you haven't tried. Or your potential constituents, yeah. Or, yeah, or, or you haven't tried. Um, and um, and that's it. I can't remember the second thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I may have derailed you. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, I think that, that's the thing. It's like, they haven't tried because ultimately, my mm-hmm. belief is at the top, the, you know, Chuck really Schumer care. really doesn't want those yeah. things. So, no, they're not going to try. Yeah. They're not, they're going to come up with lots of reasons that make it sound like, well, yeah, I mean, if you get down to it, you know, whatever. But there's all these circumstantial, political, and political reasons why... We can't do that to whatever degree. I mean, they're slippery; they're all over the place. But I think we can't because uh, if we do it, we're eliminating the insurance industry, the health insurance industry, and we can't do that. God forbid <laughs> we eliminate the health insurance industry, the beloved yeah, American health insurance that industry would, would have to be completely reformed if we enacted this policy. That will oil. But machine. this is also what you're getting, guys. Like the reason why, let's say Chuck Schumer is going to be because his entire political career is backed by. Interests, yeah. moneyed interests, <laughs> yeah. well, who uh, yes, who don't yes, who who, who would yeah. like him, uh, yeah, to uh, to continue to be a ne- neoliberal. Thank you. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there's an entire planet engaged in uh, privatizing government services. There's a, a global lobby for this. Like it's a m- a massive interest, a coordinated class of interests, desperately working through the IMF, the World Bank, and the U.S. government to privatize everything. Yeah. It's no surprise that there are representatives for that point of view in government in this country. Like, that is that is it is a major force, and that's why they're against it. I mean, the, but, you know, what what's interesting there is... And they will, if they successfully implement a big government program like that and see how popular it is... That really fucks with their money. This is Shama's yeah. argument, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, about yeah. yeah, locally, just thinking about how it's like they the the, the, the corporate backed Democrats on the Seattle City Council don't want public housing. They don't want massive. You know, they don't want to spend millions and millions of dollars, five hundred million dollars or whatever, investing in public public housing because if there's a successful, you know, string of public houses that are built. And you know, if if if, if uh, the housing crisis lessens as a result of it, then the, it risks their electability suddenly because yeah. they <laughs> because you know, like the, you know, suddenly the, um, the the developers don't want to, to give money to them anymore, you know, etc. So the, yeah, this is a way in which yeah, I see what you're saying. Because that's e- it's easy to, it's easy to argue from to it's and it's easy to do to maintain a status quo. That's the basic ballgame. What makes it so insane-making is that the problems facing us are so huge and systemic and 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 system-breaking that yep. there's no way maintenance of the status quo is going to be able to help <laughs> fix those problems. Like for instance, yeah. I'm just I'm thinking I'm I'm stuck on this new Green Deal thing. You know, I well, I asked uh, Rick Larson for for mm-hmm. comment, and he was like, he was the m- one who was most not interested in the Green New Deal yeah. because he represents Boeing. Yeah. And uh, and he was just like, I don't know if I can back anything that's going to, you know, uh, make it uh, so that people are not going to want to fly and uh, because the people I, you know, represent make the safest airplanes in the country, etc., etc. It's like, have them make trades! Yeah. 
Make Boeing do the high speed. Like, just change yeah. what they make. They, you know, it's, yeah. it's made of the same materials. You know, essentially, yeah. they have the engineers like do it, do a long training session, lose money, but see an opportunity in systematic change rather than seeing it as like this bit. You know, like oh, it's impossible. It sounds too big or whatever. And yeah, so th well, they these, have are, these are just scared little people the, who right. want to retire. The people in service of this are scared little people, mm. but they have these arguments ready to deploy that have been crafted for them by an interest that is in maintaining the status quo. Yeah. Which, I mean, and that, man, I have all these, like, you know, like historical materialist arguments for all why we should fucking change everything in our country <laughs> and world, right? But, like, it is kind of all irrelevant in a way because, like, climate change is just so, so massive. It's so clear that it's you are going to have to rewrite the all the terms of society and certainly this economy. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's going to be a major dividing line. Like, hopefully that will be a litmus test, a purity test. A purity test. It doesn't seem to be for Rick Larson. He's like, what's he going to do? It's like, you know, whenever the water wars start or whatever in yeah. 50 years, and it's like Boeing still makes plans. Like, Boeing's going to have to make rugged dune buggies and water barrels. Right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it really is going to be a very... Shitty place for um, people our age to grow up in, or at least yeah. people you know who mm -hmm. are under thirty. But the boomers they don't have a bunker. Or yeah, and I get where it's coming. I get the the boomers can fall back on this kind of, and not to be ageist, but the boomers can fall back on this like you know memory or like idea where like policy making was just a bunch of people having nice conversations with each other. But those people, of course, were all a bunch of white dudes who were not affected yeah. by the policy that they were creating. And now that people have been elected to Congress who are on the left, let's say, you know, who are on the far left, who are saying the comet is coming and we need to do something about the comet, you know, their immediate reaction yeah. is like, no, no. Like, I, you know, I, um, we, 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 we can just play a little, a, small, a nice game of chess and go home at 5.30 or whatever. And, yeah. and they're, they're, they're feeling like they're, they're losing a sense of stability. <clears throat> That was there for them, but you know, it's not um, it's not going to be there for all of us soon. And it's the the people who have been elected on the you know who on the the progressives who who have been elected, who I think speak that 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 truth the the strongest, and they don't like it. No, they really don't. Um, it's not comfortable. They're worried about disappointing people. Well, they won't get their job. They won't get their retirement. They won't get to work out in the Capitol gym anymore. <laughs> Fuck that, man. That's a joke. Cause you can have all that shit, but it's a, you know there's gonna be a redistribution, uh, <laughs> one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, just exactly like that. So you're talking to you know electeds, but there's people our age in this city, this very liberal centrist city, yeah. that you can have these conversations that go like, well, yeah, you know we, you know we have to weigh all the options and like which is like yeah. Bring the stakeholders do, to do, the table. But do you not see that, like, the this Green New Deal idea is very simple, and it, it is, like, it's such a, it is a clear thing, like, th there's nothing to commit to in it, really, except to, that it's big? Yeah, we have to uh, allocate a greater percentage of our GDP to government spending than we have in... 60 years. Yeah. <laughs> we, d we did it in World War II. The difference is, is that we, you know, people are super uh, pumped to kill uh, and <laughs> the bad guy, you know? But they look at climate change and it's too diffuse of a bad guy. They look at uh, rampant income inequality that is hurting them and it's too diffuse of a bad guy. They don't think that the government is very good at killing that bad guy. They think the government is only very good at using guns to kill um, the um, Nazis. Yeah, and that's the centrist ideology. Yeah. I think another like interesting conundrum in there is like so we talked about how like you can't talk to you know conservatives with facts and shit. Like it's just they're on it because they're in a, on a different plane. So bringing that, I, I've tried to bring that lesson learned from you know my mother <laughs> to trying to convince my some of my friends, but but. Like, I bring that lesson of, like, okay, you can't... It's not just all about the facts. Um, you have to, like, start from a worldview perspective. But the problem is, when you talk to a centrist lib mm -hmm. on worldview terms, that actually turns them off faster than anything. Because the thing 
they are more afraid of than anything is ideology. Uh-huh. To them, like, that is... That's the boogeyman. It's ideology itself. That's where right. our extreme politics come from. That's where they don't believe they have an ideology. We've just discussed a lot of like the details of their ideology. They don't believe they have that. What they believe they have is smart people and objective facts. Oh now God. you're in the business of objective facts. Yes. <laughs> Smith. So where where does that get us? Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, it's impossible to escape ideology. Uh, the newspapers, uh, you know, papers of record, uh, purport to, um, to be outside of ideology or to uh, exist outside of ideology whenever they just report the facts on, uh, any story or issue, um, this goes wrong in two ways, right? It leads to both sidesism as a reflection mm-hmm. of so-called objectivity. So as long as you ask a Republican about immigration and a Democrat about immigration, that or climate change or, or climate change, right? Yeah, that uh, uh, that article is ideologically inert. <laughs> is uh, it is objective because look, you've got it right there. A Republican saying holding a snowball in the middle of an article and being like, "Oh, where's global warming?" Yeah. and then a Democrat quoting. <clears throat> The scientist being like, "Yeah, we've got uh, 20 years," um, <laughs> and then here's my stack of reports, right? And then, so that breeds this kind of, you know, uh, equivalent or um, equivalency uh, between um, ideas, uh, which um, is wrong, false. You, 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 are, you, are, you are you are you are equating two ideas, and one of them is clearly and demonstrably false, and the other one is clearly and demonstrably demonstrably right and then so for the sake of uh, uh, of a completely self-imposed definition of objectivity you are going to present both as fact that's the that's that's the gamble that's being taken at the majority of the uh, papers of record in this country that's one thing that's like one way in which the uh, um, uh, it plays out the other way in which it plays out is you know they you know, you'll 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 claim to be objective, but you're telling a story. And whenever you're telling a story, like whenever you're taking a photo, yeah. you are cutting out a certain square of life and choosing what goes in that square. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when you're telling an objective newspaper story. So I'm thinking of uh, an article I recently read in a newspaper about you know business owners being mad about. Uh, homeless people sleeping in RVs in Soto or whatever. And this is like presented as like, this is just a fact. <laughs> Crime is spreading in Soto and business owners are mad at homeless people about it. Is there any like... Like I mean, it's property crime. Yeah. Is there any? It's like our two favorite words on this podcast. <laughs> yes. You know, like... Um, they and of course you know business owners were uh, interviewed their views were uh, expressed maybe they got one person in in, a, in a, sleeping in an RV being like no I'm not breaking anything at the moment you know but this was prevented or presented as object like objective right. fact like objectively that, reporting on someone's ideological opinion right and the headline basically made you think that uh, Soto is overrun with yeah. homeless people who are who are break gonna break your car if you go in there you know <laughs> and so right, and so it's it, it's it, that's not not <laughs> removed from ideology that is uh, an ideology that is more in support of a small business interests yeah. uh, not wanting to have broken windows around their candle factory or you know or whatever the fuck yeah. right so so those kinds of stories happen all the time this happens all the time with fucking cops too a yeah. lot of it oh is just God, yeah. you know they're just printing cops press releases you know yeah. and then later on it takes you know forever uh, to figure out that actually yeah the the, the the white cop was racist and then just shot the kid. You know, like, yeah. you know, like, like that, it, it, it takes a very long time to actually get to the objective truth that they're looking at, but so much of it initially is presented as um, as uh, as fact divorced from yeah, ideology, you, but it's but it's clearly not, you know. Because you can't escape ideology, because well, clearly, like, the idea, and this is pervasive in newspapers, like you say, that, well, whatever comes out of the police department is you know facts just objective facts that should be reported that but that is a that's a highly ideological concept and that's highlighted by the fact that there's a growing 
segment of people in this country who really hate cops and think they should all go away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, they, so, like, you can see, like, that's that's not the only opinion to have, you know? Urban is screaming about this all the time, and I think they're right. You know, when they talk about um, uh, people get, getting killed in car wrecks or whatever, yeah. and they're like, you know, uh, 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 an SUV killed a person who was walking across the street. Like, no, a driver, like a human, yeah. <laughs> a, a human being killed another human being who was walking across the street. They, you know, they, so in almost every choice, you know, they every wording choice, every linguistic choice that they make, they are picking who has agency and who doesn't have, have agency. And in that way, they are picking sides uh, about power. Yeah. And in that way, they are perpetuating a certain kind of ideology. And anybody who is not sweating every time they write something Every time they write uh, a newspaper article, you know about that. Anytime anybody who isn't like constantly questioning the language that they're using to describe these mm-hmm. kinds of events, you know, any reporter who isn't yeah. is doing it wrong. Yeah. And anyway, and they, they use this like um, I'm just reporting the facts, or you know, like you know, th- th- centrist idea, uh, you know, idea as a shield to prevent them from doing the real earnest mental work that they have to do to say, hey, what am I writing here? What am I recording here? And am I picking a side of what I'm doing it, or like, you know, who, who, whose side am I on? And is it right to be on that side? Yeah, well, uh, see, now you got to it there. At the end, the last question is, you have to ask, is it right to be on that side? Mm-hmm. Be- there's no escape from mm-hmm. ideology, right? <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have to pick a side, because there is, there is usually a fucking side, mm-hmm. okay? There are, <laughs> there is right and wrong, and there, you know, and you have to pick that. Because, which is why, like, I think, again, to get back to, like, the idea of trust and facts, like, oh. why you can't communicate to this large segment of the population, the the sort of liberal media establishment is wrapped up in doing what you were just describing, mm-hmm. and for that reason, I think there's a way that that influences, and I think it's largely pulled to the right because, you know, the both sidesism has weighted toward this weird myopic tiny racist portion of the population but another thing is like because there's no because there's no clear ideology there's no right or wrong there's no perspective Mm -hmm. essentially there's no moral perspective i think that is that is one reason that a lot of people don't trust that as a source or don't feel like they can get anything out of it and have tuned out from mainstream media Mm -hmm. from newspapers Mm -hmm. whereas they trust sources that have identified have made them identify with their worldview and they've built that trust that they can say I can get my information from this because I know they share my worldview and what is important to me they believe the same and so I can get my information from this source like Fox News for example right. but the rest of the shit is either they believe it's an opposite ideology or it, their you know local paper is just just like confusing drivel because it has no perspective that they can trust yeah well I, I, will, I will say I am grateful or I do like that there are extreme people on the other side who are coming at it with that uh, ideology, you know, people with really conservative bents who will just admit that that's the bent that they're writing yeah. with, and then here's the argument from this side, just because it sharpens the, you know, the the arguments that uh, I can make or yeah. that anybody can make. It, it's useful. It's just the second that we pretend that there's this middle that is the truth, that's when it's just like n- no, nobody's happy and, yeah. and, and, and uh, an actual conversation is well, stymied. I think, I think we need more ideologically positioned media outlets. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- those are growing in like new media mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're down to like one paper towns all across America, especially right here in in Seattle, with the stranger being the only newspaper. The only new Seattle's got a plug. Exactly. Got a plug. In. Uh, stranger, a paper, uh, the only paper I've read in this town for many years, including when I lived in Los Angeles. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's a shame what happened to the LA Weekly. Yeah, they're all going away. But you do have to ask the question: Why would there be multiple newspapers? Why Why would it matter if they're all going to? If the Times and the PI were largely going to have, I mean, that's a long story, whatever. But like, yeah. if they're newspapers that are just trying to print objective, non anti ideological 
just the facts, ma'am. Uh -huh. Shit, like what? What is the point of multiple? There Ooh. aren't multiple perspectives. Right. There's only one thing that's true, and that's the facts. Right. And so we should just have one city that uh, one city newspaper per city, and they should just employ all the journalists, and all the journalists will be working for the facts. Or at the very least, there's no reason for there to be more than one. There's no yeah. like. So it's as if, <laughs> yeah. That, that, I think the Seattle I think, Times yeah. has an ideological bent, but it yeah. shields it. Yeah, no, they yeah, they absolutely do, and they present it in this way that is faux objective. And mm -hmm. if that's what it's going to be, like, it's no wonder. I I think that's contributed to the death of print media is a lack of. Like, if everyone, if all these outlets are just offering the same thing, mm -hmm. and you can get all of them on your computer, yeah, that's one reason that you don't need... If there's, you know, if there's multiple, actual multiple perspectives, if there were, there were like, a union paper in this town, you know, like, everywhere there was, you know, and, like, a, a, a insane billionaire right-wing rag like the Seattle Times, <laughs> and, like, you know... And everything in between, you'd have a reason to seek out that perspective. Yeah, and that's a reason. I'd be. I'm beating up on the Seattle Times, but I, the reporters do do good work. But the, the editorial board it's, is yeah, the yeah, thing that I'm yeah. that, that I'm thinking of. Though the reporters, some of the reporters do do yeah, no, like purport to be, you know, just doing the objective work of reporting, but they but, aren't actually doing the you know the, the the bidding of an ideology or you know yeah, uh, ideologically. They're being propelled by an ideolo ideology, whether or not they admit it or even see it as such uh, seems to be um, suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, I hope that was cathartic. Uh, Here. I mean, we could, we do have you talking about the book at the top, I think. We, you could just, we could pick a oh, chapter out of that, you know? Pick it, oh, like, the, they have titles, the uh, chapters. Yeah, I was just telling Colin, okay, so, like, and didn't he? He has other books. Too, oh yeah, right? yeah, his two others. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. There's one about like they're like his author of Charlotte's Web. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. Did we get anywhere in this conversation? Did this end up anywhere? Or we, am I just going to keep pulling my hair out? Have we of course, on any? No, of course you're going to pull your hair out because this isn't going to stop. But yeah, I think it's no, still honestly interesting. It's just a fascinating thing. It's gonna be this. The next, the next year and a half is gonna be fucking insane bedlam, and it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be fun. I love it. Arguing with my lib friends, trying to get them to see a few things my way, maybe. Like, is I don't know. It's part of whatever praxis yeah. is needed going forward. Totally. It's something I haven't. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't figured out exactly what it is yet, but it's it's something you know. E e you need those people to have class consciousness too. Yeah. So, Rich, can we do a Howard? Why are Schultz? you carrying around Howard Schultz book? I have to write a feature for the Stranger newspaper in February. Watch out, Schultz! <laughs> <laughs> Hard hitting from your own hometown. Yeah, man. from his only news. The only news you know. He must have it on his desk. Uh, this motherfucker, Howard Schultz. I went to his little poetry reading at the Moor last I, week. I know. Yeah, you were there, weren't you? I read your coverage. Of and that. he was there, and he said he was going to meet with the media, <laughs> but then he ran away. Everyone was there for two hours just so they could ask him one serious question, which my question would have been like, hey, w which uh, earned benefit programs are you thinking about cutting in order to balance the budget? Like, would you, would you cut Medicare or, you know, Social Security first? I wanted to ask him, the, you know, that question. He, di he didn't stay, stick around. He ran out the side door yeah. before anybody could ask. Anyway, so I have to write a feature on um, the, in, the, in, the enduring... Reality of Howard Schultz. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Perpetuated only by his billions and by a former Obama staffer who happens to have some connections among probably a lot of centrist liberals who are running the who are in the producing teams of CNN. Yeah. Um, God. But he's out there and he's got a message. You know. Sort he's of. got a message. I gotta give it to him. He is making his message very clear. He's actually <laughs> saying very concrete shit. Yes. Like, we can't... Aff no, Medicare for all. We can't afford it, 
And it's un-American. It's un-American. And it's, he compared it in that first 60 minutes drop, <laughs> he compared it to the wall. Yeah. The wall. Yeah. Medicare for all, Trump's wall. Yeah. In, in Howard Schultz's centrist mind, <laughs> they are both radical departures from the American way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from the silent majority, the center. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, like, the Twitter joke is like, well, it isn't American because Europeans have health care for all, yeah, and exactly. America yeah. has this. Yeah, but, but it is American to try to, you know, help uh, as many people you know, as you can, and, and Medicare for all would do that. It's, I don't know if that a, is American. Okay, I'm right. not prepared. It is, to I was, <laughs> it was coming out of my mouth, and I was like, "This is wrong. This is a lie. Why are you?" No, American this? is based on America is based on exploitation of the worker, rugged individualism, uh, rugged individualism, yeah. indeed. Yeah. And, yeah, and racism, and then yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But I do have genocide. Let's, what else? What other things is America Fef, based on? I have a copy Fef, of Fef. of. Uh, of people's history there if you want to oh. behind you if you want to thumb through it god that was an education <laughs> for me first and i l- listened to the, uh, you know definitely didn't know yeah, about yeah. it until i watched goodwill hunting That's and awesome because- awesome very cool <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm sorry and then i was you know i was like an undergraduate at university of missouri yeah. just trying to leave that i didn't yeah. you know i didn't know you know anything and then yeah i watched goodwill hunting and then there's a people's history and i was like well i mean if matt david's written it. <laughs> and i opened up and it was you know the first chapter is like and Columbus sharpened his knives with the bodies of Native Americans yeah. and it's like holy shit that's uh, horrible yeah so genocide um, yeah and so, um, sexism yeah exactly all right so read us some chapters names and we'll pick one okay just well to s- kick this off ladies and gentlemen if you're listening for the first time because we have uh, the very handsome Rich Smith here with us. Um, if that's what's brought you, note that if you would like to hear more about ha- our thoughts on Howard Schultz and um, why uh, we can afford anything because <laughs> money is just a made-up concept, um, our last episode covers that in detail. What do you, so what do you got here? Yes, I noticed that your last uh, episode covered it in detail, which is why I was a little bit afraid to, to, uh, to bring the book. But um, I thought, you know, you didn't have Howard Schultz's perspective. Yeah, no, no, know? no. We want to hear it in his own words. So, we didn't want to. We want to be objective. It's a little bit complicated the way this is laid out. But there's three parts. Each part has some chapters. So maybe we can pick a part and then pick a chapter from the part. So yeah, 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 yeah. So the three parts are beginnings. Mm. Intention and reinvention. <laughs> and then, part three. Charter schools. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, Howard Schultz. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's Bridging Divides. Ooh, hey, that sounds on, on point. That's on point. That's what we've been talking <laughs> yeah, about, right? All right? Bridging divides. That's a winner. Ding, ding, ding. So you got to divide. How do you get a bridge there? That's it. Howard Schultz has a couple chapters all right, dedicated all right. to that very question. <laughs> um, one chapter is called Just Discuss. <laughs> one is called The Third Rail in the Third Place. Oh, wow. Okay. We were riffing on that. If, yeah, if you, if you touch <laughs> Howard Rail... Or, sorry. <laughs> if you touch Howard Schultz... If you touch Howard Schultz's <laughs> third rail in his third place, you get a free coffee. Well, your third <laughs> eye opens and you see the third way. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> Is this where he asks Samaritan to be his third? Re- oh, yeah. Rethink the possible. The polycule. The polycule. <laughs> America, will you be my third? <laughs> Did he yeah. say that? He should. Yeah, I think that's what he's intimating. I think there. that's what. Yeah, right. The third rail in the third place <laughs> opens up the third eye to reveal the third, third way. Right. What yeah. matters is, can we have a threesome, America? Yeah. yeah. Where I am your George Washington Godlord, and you all drink my bean juice anyway. And so, just let me, let me just cut. Your earned benefits. Okay, well, <laughs> if this is a larger metaphor, not just about banging him and his wife, then what is the other part? It's him. Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. It's a global phenomenon. Coffee. It's there in 77 countries. Howard has built incredible relationships with different countries. Good and that's what him. he's going to do when he's the president of the United States of America. Because let me tell you what, there's a silent majority of 40% of Americans <laughs> uh-huh. who identify as independents just ripe for someone to come along and say, remember the 90s? 
Let's God. go back corporate, to them. Corporate self-congratulations. <laughs> My God. He sells liter- drinks that are mostly consist of two highly addictive substances. Caffeine <laughs> yeah. and sugar. He's basically yeah, like, like... the most he's addictive. sugar daddy. He, he's... Oh my god. Are, he, he is like... He's like the tobacco companies, basically. One of these chapters is just called Filial Piety. Uh... <laughs> 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 also this sh- is hard to choose. <laughs> yeah. This is also Share Your Blanket Gumption. <laughs> Gumption. That's only watch Forrest Gump. Sounds Gump. incredibly banal. Welcoming places. Decided to invest in Bubba Gump companies. <laughs> okay. Accountable. I am kind of curious what his what was it his his vision for us? Oh, a better version of us. A better version of us. Three six three sixteen. John. John. <laughs> no, no way. Uh, I've never thought of the third place just as a physical environment. For me, the third place has always been a feeling, an emotion. Is this Stephen King now? (laughs) (laughs) An aspiration that all people can come together. For fast food. For fast food and for sugar drinks. (laughs) And be uplifted chemically (laughs) as a result of a sense of belonging. This is the cornerstone of our business, yes. But belonging is also a basic human right, which should be afforded to all members of society, especially persons of wealth. (laughs) (laughs) People needs. Because creating a sense of belonging is central to Starbucks' story, the company was compelled to respond to the events in Philadelphia with a serious (laughs) self-reflection. Jesus! How much... (laughs) Series of self-reflection and substance. Much more than apologize, we sought to examine bias in our own company and also in the country and explore ways to combat it. The moment the momentous topics were not ones we were equipped to address ourselves, because after all, we're just selling bean juice based on a <laughs> burn it to the ground business model. <laughs> No, he's selling the idea that because some, you drink coffee, yeah. you fucking balls act. Yeah. <laughs> for, some, for some reason, a ruthless uh, private business model is not the way to solve racism. <laughs> no, it clearly straight, is. Straight. Uh, Eric Holder, the 82nd Attorney General of the United States and a member of the uh, board of the NAACP. I just looked that up. Yeah. <laughs> he has to... Wait, why? Why does it matter that he's the eighty-second anything? It's he's, just so you know, he's legit. Okay. He is a long, you know, comes from a long line of attorneys general. Advised Kevin early on not to rush to respond to public pressure for immediate answers, but to take the time to understand the details of what happened that day and be intentional about our actions going forward. <laughs> nice that he got PR advice. From Eric Holder. <laughs> That's fucking weird. Yeah, did he what get money for fuck? that? <laughs> I wonder if he got invoiced. No, it's just Eric Holder's voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who no, no, you who's know what it is. Kevin. Kevin to... was not introduced. Not in this. <laughs> in we we didn't. Really, you're gonna. You're gonna find yeah, out. You'll know. Rich. You're gonna find we'll, out exactly we'll, who Kevin is. We'll have I'm to guess, get back. I'm guessing we'll that he's gonna be Kevin like is. the VP of PR. Yeah. But what's interesting there? Let's pick this apart because. So what they what he did was as part of the PR strategy because what he's running on I guess if we from what we got from these chapters titles is basically this is all about Starbucks confronting racism mm-hmm. and so what he's his thesis is I should be president because I'm I have experience giving the most elaborate and thorough apology tours <laughs> <laughs> which you know is like the currency of of contemporary America but in this case, okay, what do you do on a classic apology tour? They had this, you know, incident, um, and they, got they a were like, who? No, a lawyer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The biggest one. No, 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 what do you do? You call the most powerful person you can from the aggrieved group. So they're like, okay, President Obama is not going to take this call. Let's, ah. Attorney General Eric Holder is the most powerful black man in America who yeah. will take our call and advise us and accept our apology. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're just going to roll with that and uh, say that we did the right thing by not immediately pulling this uh, horrific... Uh, I thought they kicked somebody out. What was a program? No, no, no. It was. It was. He's referring to um, when they did one that. of the incidents that happened in a Starbucks where, like, oh, black, when they, when they out. were kicked out, arrested, oh they God. called the cops. You they know, as treatment. people do at at fast food joints, right? As yeah. fast food suburban fast in a, food yeah, stuff in a does, suburb. right? If a black person is sitting there, yeah. they're committing a crime and they need to be kicked out. I remember. Yeah. yeah, I mean McDonald's. Doesn't do that because McDonald's doesn't have like any Customers? high concept of itself. Like, yeah. but you know, when it's the third place, these <laughs> these suburban white people like managing this uh, get a little haughty and again yeah. they're looking at their customers like they're fucking Balzac and yeah. like writing their fucking uh, masterpieces and so they're like well, what's this black person doing here I'm scared yeah and then Eric Holder I love Eric Holder's advice which is be intentional going forward that's very lawyer yeah yeah. yeah that's like cover your ass man that's like the, <laughs> yeah. that's, that sounds like his reasoning yeah. for don't yeah. what <laughs> The opposite of that is react however you want to. <laughs> yeah. It is it is the worst advice you could give somebody. Again, very yeah. loyally. Yeah. That sounds like you know that's his his justification for not prosecuting Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. like, yes, we, we were in, we you know we saw a problem. We were intentional going forward, and um, our intention was not to prosecute. <laughs> Do you want to know the last? Um sentence in the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's, also, it's, all, it's a spoiler. That's okay. okay. That's right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States. <laughs> Above all, let us choose to believe in each other because now and always we are in this together. Wow. Let us choose to believe in each other. Why would we believe in each other? Because we're in this <laughs> together. We all got to do our part, I, some more than others. So what I so what I guess oh. what he's saying is from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs. Thanks everybody. This has been Seattle sucks. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, speaking of from each according to their abilities, you can um, give us money to keep this podcast going at uh, Patreon.com slash Seattle sucks. Um, Shout out to Jason Rigdon or. Most Our newest friend of the show, and friend of the show, good recent, friend of the show, yeah. and most recent patron, Seattle Sucks Evangelist. I think. Yeah, I think yeah, that is title. he. Yeah, no, it's definitely in the hipster tier. Uh, he above please hipster st- tier. We start signing your name that way, Jason. That, that would rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and thank, thank you, Rich, for yeah, being on the show. Rich Smith, um, check his work out in The Stranger on Slog. He is a regular um, member of the podcast Blabbermouth, which you can find at thestranger.com also, where he um, talks to his colleagues about the news of the day. Uh, and uh, in a yeah. Starbucks, right? The third place. In a, they, all, they all meet in the we third place. <laughs> where else would you meet? Actually, this won't surprise you, but The Stranger is run out of a Starbucks. <laughs> And it always has been. We know Thanks. the code. We know to go to the bathroom. The bathroom we code. Yeah. We publish it every day. It is the best acoustics. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, and good night. <laughs>